Thank you so much. Have a great day. Of course. Thanks, guys. Take care. Okay, Richard. Um, I won't keep you too long, but your last interview was with me, if that's all right. Oh, yeah, great. I appreciate you retweeting me the other day. I did not think yeah, this yeah, would yeah. happen. That's so funny. You want to talk about Duff, right? Well, I want to talk up to you about a lot of other things. You know what's so funny? Because I've done these. It's Appetite for Distortion, Guns N' Roses themed podcast. I don't know if you can tell by my background here. Yeah, totally. But this morning I was at Q1043 in Tribeca, you know, doing the morning show there. So I'm just bouncing around doing all different things for iHeart and Premier Radio Networks. One of the things I do are these radio tours. So I've heard you do what? Between Monday and today, 15, 20 interviews, right? You could essentially be the interviewer and the interviewee without me. I know your answers. So I know yeah. what, what to ask, what not to ask. <laughs> I, I, I was telling my wife, I think it's so funny that every single person, and I don't blame them, brings up Daisy Fuentes, that you're, you know, I get it. But I, it bothers me that nobody has asked this. And I guess that this makes sense because it's more of a rock and roll theme. Okay. Uh, Because your new album, Songwriter, I want you to talk more about it because you have rock songs on there, especially with the late and great Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. So if if you can tell me about that song in particular and just about the the rock songs on the album, because you have a rock background. And I'm wearing my MTV. Yeah, I started it. Yeah, there you go. I started at rock radio. Mm -hmm. Um, My first hit, uh, my first pop hit, Don't Mean Nothing, started was a number one, what they called AOR track. Album oriented rock. So yes, my background. My I started at rock radio. I um I didn't ever really sort of leave rock radio. Rock radio sort of left me, which I get. Mm. You know, I had a couple of ballad hits, and rock radio was like, "Fuck you, we're done." <laughs> they broke up with me. Uh, it didn't stop me from doing from continuing to do it. Um, there were some tracks on the third album on the Rush Street album. Tommy Lee played drums on one song. That's probably the hardest song I've ever recorded called streets of pain um and that was really cool it was just a power trio of tommy lee on drums randy jackson american idol randy jackson on bass and steve lukather from toto oh sure he's been on the show um so you want to talk you want to talk about shame on you you want to how that all well now that you mentioned uh and again because i know you're you're exhausted and i want to keep you selfishly no it's okay but the uh the tommy lee thing i'm just curious because People so think- Tommy, the Tommy Lee thing was really cool because um, I was invited. Uh, my ex and I were invited. So this would have been ninety one, early ninety one, or like towards the end of nineteen ninety. I was finally off the road, and I was starting to record the Rush Street album, the third album. And we got invited to a LA Kings game. Okay. And they put us in one of those boxes, the celebrity boxes, whatever, right? So we're there and we take in our seats and sitting right next to us were Heather Locklear and Tommy Lee. And Heather and I had met a couple of times before. So we were like, hey, how are you? And introducing her to my ex. And 
And Tommy and I had never met before. And he was super immediately like, he wasn't like, Hey, what's up? He was like, Hey man, <laughs> uh, hey, it's so good to meet you. And we like, he was really friendly and, and we talked the entire game and we just sort of hit it off. And he says, so what are you up to? And I said, I'm starting a new record. And I said, I've actually got this song that it would be so awesome for you if you played drums on it. And he was like, really? Yeah. I said, yeah, it's like, it's pretty heavy. And he was like, dude, like, I would love that. And I said, really? I said, there's no pressure. Like, he goes, no, I'd love to play something on you. Goes, Nobody ever asked me to play on somebody else's record. I hear his voice when you're doing that. Yeah. That's so funny. Fuck yeah, man. Like, <laughs> so it was like two weeks later, he shows up at the studio and I just taught the three guys, the, you know, the parts and the ideas and Lukather immediately took my stupid guitar riff idea and turned it into like a amazing thing. And, and Luke and I had a shorthand when we worked together a lot. And Tommy did the cut, did the take in like maybe three or four takes tops. Like he just had it and it required a certain groove that was a little different for him. And, um, but it was still really heavy. And I remember the, the most vivid memory I have of that day was when we were listening to the final playback. Tommy started running around the control room. He was so happy. He loved it. He loved what it sounded like so much. And I remember he came up and he took, grabbed me by the shoulders and he was like, dude, this sounds fucking amazing. This is so fun. He was like, just like a big kid. Oh, I, I love it. Uh, because it's interesting getting to almost quote unquote know you during just listening to you tell your stories. Yeah. And because and, I, growing up, I'm, I'm slightly older than your son, Brandon. I used to yeah. say he's 32. I just turned 39. So there's a kinship there. And Tommy Lee is a yeah. kid named Brandon. It's a good name. It's a good name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that people might not think is I grew up right here waiting. I wouldn't think of Richard Marks being in this rock and roll world. And then listening to you, you have such a rock and roll attitude. Obviously, you're, you're, the attitude on social media, I would label as a rock and roll attitude. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I want to make sure that the rock gets highlighted because on the new album, there's a lot of different genres on there. But yeah, uh, yeah I do want to talk to you about uh, the Taylor Hawkins con uh, contribution and how that came about. Well, uh, I wanted to write with my youngest son, Jesse. Um, you should definitely check out his EP, which is the Mark This Hour. It's under the band name Mark This Hour. Okay. Um, it's sort of like, I, I always hate comparisons, but I think he would agree that it's sort of like, it's a little Breaking Benjamin, um, but it's his own thing. Like it's his, his voice is very unique and his melodies are incredible. He's a great singer. He plays every instrument, program the drums. He's a really great drummer, but he programmed the drums and plays every note of every sound you hear and produced it himself. This guy, Ben Gross, who's a legendary rock mixer, mixed it. Um, so I said to Jesse, I'm doing a, a very concentrated several songs that are rock songs on this next album. I think it's the perfect opportunity for us to try to collaborate together. Now, he's never written with anybody. He's always written his own stuff himself. Okay. And so I said, look, there's no downside. Like, if we don't come up with anything, we just, we tried and it just didn't gel. No big deal. So he says, yeah, come over and we'll see what we can come up with. So we, first we wrote the last track on the rock EP, which is called We Are Not Alone. Um, and that we wrote is sort of like this rock anthem. 
and we wanted to write an uplifting message and sort of touch a little bit on mental illness and being feeling uh, outcast and feeling alone and feeling um, so we did that and then I had the the chorus idea in my head for shame on you it was just a piece of music at the time but I showed it to Jesse and then we wrote he wrote the verses with me and we put the whole track together and I just knew that it was really special and then I went off and wrote these lyrics that really address the fake news the people on in the media on both sides really but particularly the Fox News, mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson's of the world, who mm -hmm. I think are just evil and pathological liars. And so it was a good release for me to write that lyric. So then Jesse kind of put, it, put the rest of the track together, sang the background vocals, and we were about to mix it. And I said, look, man, the drums sound fucking great to me. But what if we could get our favorite drummer in the world to play on this? Because I said, I really... I could hear Taylor playing on this. He goes, you, you would ask Taylor? And I said, yeah, the worst he's going to say is no. Like I knew Taylor enough that I could say to him, don't do this as a favor to me because we like each other. Only do it if you like the song because it won't hurt my feelings. If like you go, man, I wish you the best. I just don't, I'm not feeling this one. It's no problem. That's nice. Yeah, that's a friend. Yeah. So he, I, he said, okay, that's fair enough. He goes, can you send me the, the track? So I sent it to him and like five minutes later, he called me back. He goes, I'm so in, I fucking love this song. He goes, this is going to be a blast. He said, we'll just do it at my house. Come over to my house. So he said, you and Jesse come over next Thursday, whatever it was. This is beginning, right beginning of the year. Um, we went over and spent the afternoon there. Again, he was same thing. He did it in two takes or three takes or whatever. But we spent the whole afternoon with him. And he was so, did you ever get to meet him? It's so funny. I met Taylor Hawkins once. I'll keep it brief. It's really funny. I used to work at Sirius XM. Yeah. And so I'm handicapped. I, I, I have a little handicap tattoo right here. I walk with a cane. Okay. And this was actually when I started walking with a cane. And <laughs> it was in the bathroom. I know this isn't a sound like weird. Like it's like what story starts in the bathroom. So I'm, it's like kind of early in issue in my career. I'm like, am I ever going to get on the air? Like, this is just, this sucks. I see the Foo Fighters are there. I'm working for the Catholic channel. I'm Jewish working for the Catholic channel. <laughs> Pent out all this frustration, go to the bathroom, wash my hands, the corner of my eye, I see Taylor Hawkins walk out. And I'm sorry, I got to be weird. I'm like, I'm going to time out walking out at the same time. And he sees me with my cane and he's like, no, after you. I'm like, no, after you, you're Taylor from the Foo Fighters. <laughs> and we had a brief conversation because I happened to be wearing uh, this, a similar shirt that Dave Grohl wore in the Times Like These videos, uh, yeah. the sounds. Yeah. So he starts talking to me about the sounds for a few minutes. And uh, so, yeah, my one time meeting Taylor was kind of in the bathroom and he held the door open for me because that was very nice. So, well, I mean, not as cool as your story. No, but I'm saying, but we are one time meeting him was uh experiencing his grace he was just gracious oh yeah and, and the awkwardness that's kind of the point like it stuck with me he could have been a diva and like didn't say nothing you know they're yeah hey just because i'm handicapped doesn't mean people hold the door open for me like people of course so of course. Uh, he was really cool and spent a few minutes the foo fighters were giving an interview he was in the bathroom he's like let me give a few more minutes to this kid to talk to him and so yeah, yeah. the one moment was was cool that was him like and from the minute i met him i only met him maybe like I only met Dave. I met Taylor through Dave, but I only met Dave like maybe eight years ago at a, at a dinner party. And we immediately hit it off. 
and talk all the time and we hang out and and then he invited me down to the studio 606 and they were rehearsing for a gig or for a tour or something and i met all the guys and taylor immediately like when i met taylor when i when he walked in and i reached my hand out to shake his hand he slapped my hand away and hugged me Hmm. he's like dude this is so cool to meet you and like i was like Wow. <laughs> I, was such, I was such a fan, you know, I'm a fan of the band, but really of Taylor's, like seriously, fan, serious fan of Taylor's. So, um, you know, the other little, little uh, anecdote, I guess, or button on the story is the night after he played drums on Shame On You, Daisy and I went to dinner with uh, Katie Couric and her husband. Okay, I've met her. Katie and I have been friendly for a while, but she married a guy I went to school with. So I've known my whole life. They came to LA to visit. We took them to a restaurant in Malibu for dinner. We walk into the restaurant and there's Taylor and Allison hmm. at the bar waiting for their table. And we look at each other like, are you fucking kidding? Because we would, Taylor and I ran into each other in restaurants a lot. It was weird. So we're like, of course I'm running into you the day after I'd been to his house, right? So I introduce everybody. And Taylor's like, oh, Katie, so nice to meet you. And Katie says, and I got my arm around him. I'm hugging him. And Katie said, I didn't know you guys were friends. And Taylor, without missing a beat, said, it's even better. We're friends who make music together. (laughs) And I think about that all the time now. That's what I'm going to always remember. Because it was like a month later he died. And I'm still like, I'm still a little like numb. Like, I just can't quite believe it, you know? Yeah, and you're someone who knew, and I speak just for the fan base, and having met him once, it's, yeah, numb, and it's interesting. And it's a perfect segue into everything. Yeah, the theme of my podcast is, you know, but I talk about mental health a lot, addiction. I I haven't had a drink in seven years. Good Uh, for you, man. Thank you. I mean, I still have other issues, but I mean, uh, you know, I'm here talking to uh, Richard Marks, so things are pretty good. <laughs> but it, it's uh, so it, it leads into well. First, I want to mention real quickly because Katie Couric, because I mentioned meant her once, and it's also funny. I was setting her up to like, and she came in to do what you're doing. This was yeah. just in studio to do interviews, and she's like, uh, "Where do you want me?" As far as where the microphones go, like wherever you're comfortable. You know, I'll, I'll take you wherever you want to be. And it was just an awkward pause, and she goes, "I'm not going to say anything because that sounded really sexual." And I don't know. It was it was awkward and funny. We both laughed. But that's so her. I know. I, I liked it. She's like, and she, you know, knock on wood, she just had a recent breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah, uh, she's you know. she's good. I I'm in touch. She's beautiful she's old good. woman. So I got I was flattered. So you know, they caught it early. So she's she's fine. Good, good, good. But it segues into a conversation you had. I'm using now my six degrees of Guns and Roses bacon, what I call it. Right. With Duff McKagan at the beginning of the pandemic, where you talk so much about mental health and being creative. And it was a couple interesting things that you said in the interview that you just said now uh, that initially you weren't creative at the beginning of the pandemic. You're telling that to Duff. You're like, I've never felt this way before. Mm-hmm. And you also said something like to Duff, like how you met Taylor. You always run into him in, in, uh, in restaurants. So we always got to hang out, but you never hang out. So I guess right. how did that interview happen? I guess how did that how did you think to reach out to Duff and uh, have you hung out since? We've still never hung out. Ah. 
Uh, we actually did hang out once when, when we, we met each other. Uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend of ours named Trey Bruce, who's a great songwriter in Nashville. And Trey came out to L.A. to work with Duff and said, you and Duff need to meet each other because you're going to be friends. And so we all met. This is probably 10 years ago. Okay. We met up at a sushi restaurant. And we immediately hit it off. Like I just immediately liked him. We, it was just he was so easy to be around and um, and we just had fun. And then I would run into him on planes twice. I ran into him on a plane. So we we email each other a lot. We text each other about we got to get together. We got to get our wives together. Um, when the pandemic happened and I started to do that youtube show interviews with people i asked him i said which is is this interesting to you and he said absolutely let's do it so we did that but then he returned like not only returned the favor but additionally um he moderated when my book came out a year ago he moderated a an online interview with me about my book oh i know that so he interviewed me about my book oh okay it was amazing. That's and I loved his book. I don't know if you've read his book, but like he's got two books actually, but his memoir is really, really good. How to be a man. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, the other one. Oh, okay. Okay. The other one. Gotcha. Um, anyway, he's just a kind, smart, soulful dude. And it's just the only reason we haven't hung out is just because of schedules and stuff like that. I gotcha. Well, I'll just ask you this, speaking of schedule, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but as somebody who almost in the same time period as Guns N' Roses, but obviously a different end of uh, the spectrum, what did you think of Appetite for Destruction when it came out? What did you think of Guns N' Roses when, it came, when they came out? To be honest with you, I wasn't, I, I wasn't a Guns guy. I wasn't into that stuff as much at that time. Um, the difference, the timing is somewhat similar. Like the difference for me between GNR and Soundgarden, for example, okay, which I was into, was the difference between how Axel's voice hit my ears versus Chris. Okay. Um, for me, it was like when I heard Chris, I was like, what the fuck is that? Like that blew, like his voice just blew my mind. And just like the people who love GNR and they love Axel, same thing. They they had this like sort of visceral reaction to his voice, like, and it just wasn't that for me. Okay. It was um, but then I, you know, I certainly have great respect for you know the songwriting and as a band, they're like a really great band, like really great band. It just wasn't it wasn't my thing, you know. I really like a lot of Duff solo stuff and um but yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't in the GNR world. Me, I was much more into. Me neither. Into, me neither. Don't look. Don't look. No, I'm I know. Taking everything down. No. I'm going to do a Richard Marks <laughs> podcast next. That's going to be. No, I totally get it, and that's totally fine. That doesn't that doesn't matter. It's everything just meets here that six degrees of, and it's so no, you know who that, was you know who was, a, who was a you know who was a big GNR fan is Daisy. Mm. Well, she loved she loved them. If uh. You know, maybe if she next time if she comes out with a book or an album, she maybe make a song together. Next time, if I host her radio tour, maybe I'll sneak in there and ask there her our question. <laughs> well, thank you, Richard Marks, for being such a great. Uh, what would I call it? I'm the tour producer. You're the Tory. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so. Just 
kind Monday and, and, and today. So thank giving me some extra time today. Uh, to My talk. pleasure, Brandon. Anytime, man. <laughs> I don't think I said the name of the episode. I guess it went right into it. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 370. That was the great Richard Marks. I'm continuously amazed of the Guns N' Roses connections that we find. I, I mean, come on. Right here waiting? Never would have, in my lifetime, not in this lifetime, would I ever think I would speak to Richard Marks. Like, he's just, like, why, I guess? I mean, he seems like a really cool guy. Uh, the last few years, he's definitely become more popular because of social media because he seems to have a, you know, he doesn't seem, he does have a really funny personality and, and attitude. So, yeah. I mean, and also those adult contemporary songs, they rock, man. That's why Tommy Lee was excited to work with him. So it's just a different side of things. Uh, but just have the opportunity because I'm just listening all Monday. I'm like, he just seems like a really cool guy that I would want to talk to. Let's see if he has a Guns N' Roses connection. So I can start Googling. That's what usually what I do. I just type in Richard Marks, Guns N' Roses, and you can see what, see what comes up. And that's when that Duff interview came up. It, I, I, I may have saw when it first happened. It was like April 2020. Um, early on, that was the one I was talking to him about when the pandemic first started that I, it just, I, I forgot about it. I don't, I don't even, I don't remember it. You know, certainly I guess, why would I remember a random Richard Mark stuff McKagan interview? Now I know why I should have remembered it, but just very cool. And who knows, maybe in the future we'll get Desi Fuentes on the air. I was certainly thinking about it. I was looking to see if he, she had interviewed any of the Guns N' Roses members. Just in case if she was lurking in the background, you know, that I can just get in a quick question with her. And I am absolutely, I was telling the, the truth. It, it's just so, I was, to my wife, it's just so funny. Every single station we went to wants to talk to him about Daisy Fuentes. <laughs> I mean, man, that guy wins in life, doesn't he? Jeez, I, <laughs> I said to uh, my wife, I was like, I love you, honey, but Daisy Fuentes, my, my goodness, so. Congratulations, Richard Marks. And by the way, not, on, not only marrying uh, Daisy Fuentes, his new album is out now. Okay, so I think it, it, it's worth it. I mean, the guy is still killing it. He's killing it. Awesome. And it's totally cool. I, I really enjoyed his perspective because I'm like, oh, if I ever get to interview him again, maybe I'll talk to him about, you know, as a singer-songwriter, what does he think of Axl Rose? And he kind of gave that answer. Hmm, so that, that's very interesting his response uh, to, because I get it. Uh, Art from Everclear said the same thing, something similar when he was on the podcast, just Axel's voice isn't for him. And that's okay. I, it's, I'm not going to take offense to that. It's, you know, it's music, they're bands. So it's, it's not a big deal. It's not insulting my family. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Oh man. So what is the come of the podcast? Well, I will say it, we were going to record and We still will. Uh, we still are Doug Goldstein and I, an episode dedicated to his book, Answering Your Questions. Many of you have sent in great questions already to the AFD show at gmail.com. And it's, it could be anything of just a generic question, a Guns N' Roses question you have, and, and that would make for a great subject. Maybe we've covered it already, but we still want you to be, uh, want you to reach out. Or perhaps something you read in Duff's book or Slash's book or Craig Dusewalt's book, something you're like, is that true? Did that really happen? 
or maybe you just want, you know what, what about that, this story? Can you tell me your perspective on this story? Because you know he's going to tell you his, Doug's going to tell you his perspective on the St. Louis riot, right? That story's been told, but not from through his eyes. And by the way, I guess this could go under shotgun news. I don't have the, one of these days I'll get the proper setup again while I have all the sound bites. I'll bring them back one of these days. But I'll give a shout out to Matt Wake, our buddy Matt Wake from AL.com. And he, because he, he, he retweeted this link. Somebody is selling a chair from the Riverport riot. <laughs> right now it's going for $100. You can check it out. I, I retweeted the, the link. And the capture reads this. Chair from the Riverport Amphitheater, Guns N' Roses 1991 Riverport riot. I was in the audience at the GNR concert that ended the infamous band. Uh, no, it ended. It started the infamous band of, of GNR in St. Louis, 1991. A friend grabbed a friend grabbed the chair during uh, the mayhem on the way out and put it in my car. I've held on to this piece of history for 31 years. The wife said it's time for it to find a new home. <laughs> oh man, I love the honesty in this. I get it. I get it. Wife says it's got to go. It's got to go. Uh, I'm auctioning the chair as well as the original ticket stub. Okay, so if you want a Riverport Riot chair and the ticket stub, right now you can get it for $100. However, I will say Doug Goldstein is considered is considering bidding on this. How funny would that be if Doug owns one of the Riverport Riot chairs, maybe a chair that was used to was was thrown at him. <laughs> Man, I can't wait because uh, there is going to be an upcoming episode again where Doug and I talk about the book. And I, I, I get around with Doug. I call him, you know, where in the world is uh, Doug San Diego? Is Carmen Goldstein? And he likes to consider himself Waldo. Where's Waldo? Where's Duggo? Uh, so it's a, we don't always we're not always able to coordinate to sit down and do an episode or. Even have long chats about the book now. It's interesting. So it's a lot of me writing, no, thinking what through Doug's uh, mind, having just spent a lot of time talking to him over the past few years, on and off the podcast. Now mostly off the podcast. What does he say about the story and adding my insight? Well, what speaking through Doug because it's his autobiography, but I got to add some stuff as the quote unquote co-author. But uh, the Riverport Riot, you're going to get the true story about it. You're also going to get stories that haven't been told before, so it's going to be really cool. I, I know. We're, we're, I'm excited. I want to get it out, but there's so much There's so much to do. It's, so much, it's a big undertaking. It really is. But I'm happy with the progress that we've made, and uh, I don't think it'll take as long as Chinese democracy, but it'll be out soon, <laughs> as, uh, as Axel famously said. And, and something else I want to talk about that is going to be out sooner is the, the User Illusion box set. I wanted to bring it up because I mentioned it last podcast. I want to elaborate a little bit. I do want to do a single episode on that at some point, most likely after the podcast, excuse me, after the box set comes out. Thinking about doing, since I have a, a video aspect of the podcast now on YouTube, perhaps an unboxing. I don't know. Maybe I'll get a fan that is getting the $500 package, is getting the whole thing, the whole Megillah, and perhaps you want to unbox it on this podcast. It could be a cool idea. People do that, right? 
I have reached out to, uh, I'll give him a shout out and a plug, Tim Tricoli, timtricoli.com. You may know the name because he's a big collector of the Guns N' Roses world. He contributed to the Appetite for Destruction box set. He was on a, the podcast a, a while ago. I talked to him about this box set because he contributed it again. He was one of those people that said, it's coming. It's coming to all the doubters for the box set. I knew it was coming. It was just interesting where, because I know things fluctuate in schedules. I'm talking about Doug and I's schedule fluctuating, and we're not nearly as busy as Guns N' Roses are. So I, uh, it, it was just funny. I put out, what did I put out a meme of, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and <laughs> you either get the reference or you don't, because I know I'm heard everywhere, uh, where Newman was like, I'll tell you a little secret about zip codes. They're absolutely meaningless. <laughs> so I was like, I did that with, I'll tell you a little something about Slash's comments about a, a summer release. They're absolutely meaningless. <laughs> and I'm being silly. I don't actually, I'm not actually upset or I'm just poking fun. But in Slash's defense, the box set was announced on the last day of summer. I forgot what day of September that was officially, but it was literally the last day of summer. So he was right. <laughs> he was technically right that there was a, a release from Guns N' Roses this summer. Uh, I believe that's when the uh, the single came out that you can get out, uh, getting out the live. It's escaping me now. You could be mine. It's, I remember getting the 1991 live recording that's escaping me at the moment. But uh, And I forget, I may have said this to Richard uh, Mark, because I've been awake since 3 a.m. It's currently 5 p.m. right now. Did the morning show this morning at Q1043. While they're in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm here in New York City. Make sure they're on the air. Get back to my apartment. Doing this whole Richard Marks tour. I'm the last interview, so I'm running on fumes and excitement. And, and oh, and actually, in between then, I had a nice long conversation with Doug about some stuff about the book. So I'm really balancing it all. I really am. So uh, try to keep up because I can't. I could barely keep up. So in between the broadcasts, because again, the upcoming episodes, I want to do an unboxing. Not going to happen yet, of course. Doug, uh, when he comes back on uh, by himself, and also want to do a Pyro Pete part two. Want to do a Dr. Stephen Thaxton part two, if you don't remember. He was the official user illusion chiropractor. <laughs> that was one of the best episodes. Uh, we want to do a part two of that. So we'll see what's to come. Okay. So again, stay uh, tuned by following on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show, Twitter at the AFD broadcast, uh, Instagram. And please, if you can, if you are on YouTube, Hit a subscribe button. That really, uh, I, I really appreciate that. So thanks. So until the next episode, when will you see it? Who will it be? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know. As soon as the word. No! Fuck it! No! Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home.